Hey there, I'm Emlyn Miles Mattingly, your host for the Minority Money Podcast. I'm glad you're here. You know why? Because this is the place you can come to get your weekly finance, family, and fitness motivation, not only to experience success in those areas for yourself, but also to help others in our community achieve greatness too. Super happy that you're on the show with me. So let's jump right in. Welcome back to the Minority Money Podcast. I am your host, Emlyn Miles Mattingly, where we are changing the complexion of wealth. And once again, I've been doing this for a little while now, and I have to thank all of the listeners. I have to thank you. So I've been seeing the downloads have been going up. That means you guys have been sharing these episodes with your friends and with your family. So we really do appreciate that. I cannot say that to you enough, how much we appreciate you sharing the show. So if you would not mind continuing to share the show, and especially this one, because today you are in for a treat. I have one of my longtime friends on today. We've known each other for a very, very long time. Her sister's been on the show before, and it delights me. It really just makes my soul happy to be able to have friends like Tamara White Hutchinson on today. So Tamara, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Emlyn. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited about our conversation today. Yes, we already had one show. We just didn't record it. We, did. <laughs> we were talking before the show, and it was like, we maybe should have put some of this in the show. It was good, but... I always like to do this with the guests. I always like to let the guests give us a brief introduction. I have so many stories and all kinds of stuff I can tell about you. But <laughs> I'd rather have you just introduce yourself to the minority money community so they know what they're getting ready for. Yeah, sure. So hi, everyone. I'm Tamara White Hutchinson. I am by trade a public relations and communications practitioner. I've been doing that for close to 20 years. And recently making a transition into the finance space. So I have a money coaching business called The Cash Class that I started about two and a half years ago at the beginning of the pandemic, working on getting my certified financial planner certificate and really have just become enthralled with all things finance. So I think we're going to talk a little bit about career changing in your 40s and really why this has become my passion. So you said career change in the 40s. I'm like, when do we turn 40? Tamara, we were like 16 a couple of weeks ago, right? Like, I remember, how do we turn 40? I know it's crazy. <laughs> it happens so fast. Like you spend your whole childhood trying to grow up and then you spend your whole adulthood trying to get younger again. So, <laughs> so we definitely got a ton to talk about where the theme of the show today is going to be resilience and grit Yes. during challenging times. So I love that. And I know you said you wanted to say something about track, so I'm, I'm not going to make sure we talk about track a little bit. So Tamara and I ran track together in high school. So she said she had something she wanted to talk about. So I'm going to let her, I don't even know what she's going to say. I'm a little... I know, I'm going to surprise you. So, so I was thinking the last week, because there's been this heat wave in California. Mm -hmm. And so where I live in Los Angeles, it's been like in the high 90s, close to 100, which is like unheard of because we're close to the beach. And then, you know, where my parents live in... Central California and where I grew up, where Emlyn's at, it's been 115. Mm -hmm. So I've been seeing the news and they're talking about hydration and how you have to stay cool and all of these things that you should do. And all of that is correct, right? Like that is absolutely correct. You should do that. But I was thinking about this topic of grit and resilience. Where did this come from? And I had to go back to my Madeira High School track days where we get out of school and we would run track and do practice in the heat of the day. So mm -hmm. it's 100 degrees, 102, 103. And I do not ever remember track practice being canceled not because once. it's too hot. And then on this whole issue of hydration, there's 40, 50 kids out there 
never once saw anybody bring a water bottle ever. And we had this like little dinky water faucet that we would Mm -hmm. all drink from. And the coaches would only let us drink after you were in between your sets. Like, so Mm -hmm. if you were doing five, four hundred, you could go in between your sprints. And so we're all like lined up there at the water faucet. And I never saw anybody fight. You just wait your turn, get your little sip of water. And the water was hot. It was (laughs) (laughs) super hot. And then you kind of like try to splash some water all over yourself and try to cool down. And it was just crazy thinking back to the mid 90s and just growing up that way. And we grew up in a really working class environment. And I think that's really where those seeds were planted about grit and resistance, because it was, I think, early on, it was very clear, like, no one's giving you anything, everything has to be earned. And it's funny, because even as hard as that was, I don't remember ever thinking about quitting. Now, I know there was some people that quit. And I actually remember Evelyn having conversations. She'd be like, don't quit, just stick in there. That's how we grew up. And I think that was like where the seeds were planted of that grit and resistance and just keep on going and good things come out of hard trials and tribulations. So just wanted to shout out those days and that little water fountain. Absolutely. We're talking about, I told you my daughter runs track and I went out yeah. to their practice and it's totally different now. <laughs> so it's totally different. They have nice God, facilities, right? <laughs> like all weather track out there. They got turf. It's just beautiful. And I think about that. And I mean, you want to see progression like that, but I think about running on a dirt track, what that did to you running on a dirt track. We train on dirt. They've had to draw the lines on there with chalk when we had a track meet and we were out there just no water, no heat advisory, just go out there. Just do it, get it done. And also there's other skills that came. Like I remember everyone got really good at taping because Mm -hmm. everyone running on the dirt track, like we had shin splints and all that stuff. So we were like part-time physical therapists. Everybody had to tape themselves up and it was wild, man, but it was a lot of fun. And I think that also planted the seed of no matter how hard of the challenges that you're going through when you're in good company, there's nothing that makes up for it. Those are some of the happiest times in my life. Absolutely. Shout out to Madeira High Track because we were a force to be reckoned with back then. It was fun. We had a pretty damn good team. My senior year, we almost went to state. I don't know if I told you that. Did you know that? Yeah. I mean, I thought, I thought you guys did go to state. I pulled my quad right before the Valley meet. Pulled my quad messing with Lee John in practice. Doing kid stuff, he hit me and I took off running after him. And then I yeah. felt that was the first time I ever hurt myself and I couldn't run. I still try to do high jump, but I couldn't sprint. And so, yeah, it was all bad. It was one of the worst things that happened. Our whole senior year was based around us making it to Valley and doing some things. Yeah, I mean, you are so talented. I mean, we talked about this a little bit in the pre-show, but definitely you could have been D1. I think you could have got some Olympic professional level. Like you were very talented. It was fun. I enjoyed it. Thank you. I think that the focus and stuff like that came later. Being a 16-year-old, 17-year-old kid, you don't really understand back then. But yeah, it was fun. I loved it. I loved to compete like around the Valley at that time. We had some of the best track athletes in the state in the Valley at that time. We did. Um, It's funny too. I was by far not one of the most athletic people. All I really, going back to grit and resilience, all I had was grit and resilience. It was funny because I look back and I actually was a four-year letterman, but not mm -hmm. because I was so good. It was literally because I just didn't give up. I just kept (laughs) on running. And Mm -hmm. I think also being surrounded by so many talented athletes, like you have to step your game up. I mean, that was it. Like, And it was the place where you would have people come from other sports and they'd all come to track. And football players out there, basketball players, and this is girls and guys. Girls that played basketball came out. That's, we were talking about them. Girls that played volleyball came out. 
yeah. cheerleaders came out. Everybody yeah. just kind of meshed in the track and it was really, really fun. With that, let's get into this. Let's jump into what's it like to make a career change in your 40s? What is that like? Yeah, I'm going to get to that. But let me first, yeah, I want to talk a little bit about the journey of getting here because I think it's an interesting one. So I left Madeira, graduated from Madeira High School, and then I was a first generation college student. And so that was really, really interesting because nobody in my family had gone to a four-year college. And so when I graduated and I'm coming out of this small town, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to major in. And I think I was really attracted. I thought it was going to be really glamorous and fun going into public relations. And also being a first generation, I also knew that the communications classes were going to be something that I could manage because I've always been a good writer and speaker. So I went into that, I graduated and it was a struggle. It was really, really hard because I just didn't have the study skills. I didn't have the work ethic. I really just did not have the skill set to get through. But again, that's where that resilience comes in is I just kept working. And it took me five years to graduate. It was tough. And when I finally graduated, I started working at PR firms and kind of started working my way up. And I always really liked to work. I was good at working and I really liked it. And in my mid 20s, I kind of landed my big break. And that was getting a job at the city of West Hollywood. And City of West Hollywood is a cool city. It's 1.9 square miles. It's kind of right in the middle of Los Angeles. And the Sunset Strip is in the city of West Hollywood. And then Beverly Hills is on one side. So it was cool because I was working for council members. I was supporting all the public affairs because I was the public information officer. And so I had this really big role and job in my mid-20s. And I was putting together news conferences. And I had the opportunity where I would get to go on camera and I was the media spokesperson and worked on some really cool projects like the Sunset Strip Music Festival. I got to meet Jane Fonda and met Rihanna, just like some cool stuff. Mm. And it was really great because my boss was a Black woman who had started the department and she was just an amazing mentor to me. And she had gone back in her 40s to become a lawyer. And I think that kind of resonated with me that it doesn't matter how old you are. If you want to make a change, you want to up-level your skills, like that's something that you can do. So I did that for a while. And I bring that up because I think that that was the first time that this money anxiety came up for me because all of a sudden I went from making $30,000 or $35,000 a year. And all of a sudden I was making six figures as a 25-year-old. It's like, you think, oh my gosh, I've made it. But then with that, I started to have a lot of anxiety because all I knew about money is to work hard, work really, really hard and you'll make money. And so I was working really hard. I was working 12 hours a day, but I wasn't saving anything. I did everything that people do when you go from like not having money to having money. I was spending it fast. I was taking myself out $200, $300 dinners. I was flying everywhere. I had all the new clothes. I had the $400 or $500 a month hair habit. Like I was doing it all. Mm-hmm. And with that came so much anxiety. I was super scared that I was going to lose it. And I think this plays a little bit into, you hear a lot about psychology of money now. Mm-hmm. It's something that people have been talking about a lot the last few years. And for me, I had seen my grandparents, they had their own business and they owned a construction company and they owned a limousine company and they made a lot of money and they used to take us to Disneyland every year in a limousine. And we kind of grew up with seeing them have all this money and then they ended up losing everything. Mm -hmm. 
And so I always had this deep, deep, deep anxiety that this can all be gone. Now, the flip side of that is that I wasn't saving any money. I didn't have an emergency fund. I was just out there just living. And I didn't know anything about investing. I didn't know anything about anything financial. But the good part was that there was people at the city and they would talk about retirement and they would talk about their pensions. And for anybody that's ever worked in like local government, that's what people are living for. They're living for that pension, like that one day when they're going to retire. So I started to have these seeds planted early about, okay, well, one day I'm not going to be able to work. And I still wasn't investing in the stock market. I still didn't know anything about money. Kind of funny enough, my first investment that I ever bought was I bought like a silver coin, a silver maple leaf, because Mm -hmm. one of my friends was like, oh, uh, there's going to be a recession. And when there's a recession, you might might not be able to get money out of the bank. So you should go buy this so that if the world goes crazy, and I did, I bought like $2,000 of maple leaves and I still have them and the world hasn't ended yet. But yeah, so, so as I continued to work in PR, this issue of this money anxiety came up really, really strongly for me. And it was to the point where I started going to therapy to kind of talk about everything looks perfect on the outside. And so many people are coming and telling me like, you seem like you have this great career and you have this great job. And, but I just had this anxiety, like that I was going to lose everything. And this went on for years, Evelyn, like years and years. And it's funny because when I was going to therapy, therapists are notoriously not good with money. (laughs) They just are very money adverse. It's a profession a lot of people that are money adverse go into. So I'd be trying to tell them about this money anxiety and they just weren't getting it. They would just be. And then one of my therapists, I came to find out that she was like a woman in her forties and her dad was like still paying her bills. And it was just a totally different reality that I was living. Right. So I realized like, man, this therapy, like as good as therapy is for many things, I was like, this is not gonna be what gets me where I need to go in terms of being at peace. And so what I can really credit to this transition is that I had this epiphany that in order to really stop this feeling of anxiety, I had to learn more. I had to go into the center of the storm and figure out what was causing this. And so the first money book I ever read was by Rami Sethi, I Will Teach Mm -hmm. You to Be Rich. Mm -hmm. And that's a really good read for anyone that's starting their money journey because it's short, it's fast, it's funny, and very much aims towards our generation. I love that book. It's a great book. And so that's when I started to realize, I was like, okay, I read this book. I have some basic tools now. Basic tools in terms of I need to start a saving so I have Mm -hmm. some kind of emergency fund. And then I read about index funds. That's where I kind of started to learn about index funds. So I started putting, I mean, I'm talking about small amounts because in my mind, I was, I didn't know what I was doing. Nobody I knew invested. So I was like, okay, I'm going to put an amount towards my index fund. So if I lose it all, it's not going to matter to me. So I started with 50 or $100 a month Mm -hmm. in index funds. And then I started to see, I was like, hmm, I didn't lose any money. I made money. That's when I started to get into it. It started to hook me. But this is a slow process over many, many years. And I started to really read everything in terms of finance. I really read a lot of finance, but also biographies about overcoming because Mm -hmm. I knew I came from a working class environment and I knew that where I wanted to go, I didn't have people that I could call on the phone to ask them how to get there. Mm -hmm. So I had to figure out how to go from point A to point Z on my own. And so I did that through books, podcasts like yours. And yeah, just really started self-educating myself. And that's when I started to really get obsessed with finance. And it's never been about the money for me. Mm -hmm. What I really love about finance is that 
it can change the trajectory of your life and it can give you the freedom to make decisions. Because I think that's the one thing that I really felt coming from such a working class environment is that there's so many people that we grew up with that had such tremendous talent. Mm-hmm. But because of finances, people are sometimes forced into a trajectory where they're not able to make the decisions that they otherwise would have been able to make. You get forced into things if you don't have the finances to support your dreams. That's when I started to really love finances because I started to you know what, this can change my life, this can change the lives of people around me, so that we can focus on the things that are important to us. And we don't have to just continue to be focused on survival. I'm just listening to it and just picking up on some things, because your whole story was about resilience and grit during challenges. Yeah, that could encapsulate what you just talked about. So but what I was thinking is, thinking about this, as you were going through having a time of your life, and it's not something that people don't like you were doing everything that you thought you were supposed to do. Like you go to school, you get your stuff, then you get into this career. Now you're making more money than you've made before and you're spending more money than you spent before. And you find yourself still feeling this empty, bewildered, uncertainty feeling when you're doing better financially than you've ever done. And I think a lot of people find themselves in that situation. And I've been watching you on Twitter for a little while now. Wow. Watch it. I watch it also. <laughs> so I'm not a big Twitter comment person, but I watch everything. I see everything. So, but I love to see like just the growth. And I think about that and I think about you becoming a financial planner. I heard you talking about going through the CFP coursework. And I think about how many people that are in your situation mm-hmm. out there that need someone like you to yep. hear from someone like you. They got to hear from Tamara. And I think that there's so many people out there that had to go through similar things as you did. And I think about it. And so like, I'm going to talk about my niche real quick. I'll just tell you what my niche is. And that's like first generation, six figure income earners or college graduates, but that are do it themselves that can't do it themselves anymore. And you will be able to develop an incredible niche Mm -hmm. just based on your own life experiences and people that are going to relate to that. So I think I'm excited for what you're going to create, just listening to your story and understanding how that will directly relate to your clients or to your target market, because now you can speak to them like no one else can. And that is so powerful. And oh, yeah, maybe that communication background is going to come in because I think that it's not a maybe I'm being funny. It's going to absolutely come in and play very, very well. We had seen that in this field. I was actually said this in our internship program. We need to talk about getting people from communication majors into the financial services industry. I said that specifically in that. So there's a few things in what you said that's kind of resonated with me. First, as I was on and continue to be on this journey, one thing has really stuck with me. And it's something that I heard a pastor say, and it's make your mess your message. And I think particularly in our generation, you hear all of these talking heads and they always talk about follow your passion, follow your passion. And I tried to do that for a long time with PR. I always knew that I liked it. I had a good time, but it didn't feel like it was fulfilling to me. I still had that deep anxiety, the money anxiety. And it wasn't until I started to really lean into what I was so scared of and what caused so much fear and anxiety, which was this whole issue with money and this whole issue with finances that I started to really see that this is my passion because I know what it feels like. And it's a difficult thing to talk about. Like you said, like when on the outside, everything looks really great and you're the first person in your family, you're making six figures, people are coming to you, you're supposed to have it all together. And you know, inside, I do not have this together. This is a mess. 
So I get that. So that's where I'm at right now. I'm in a place where I am applying what I've learned. I have gone from being that person that felt deeply insecure and deeply scared about losing it all to feeling a true sense of peace. I've done it where I don't feel like I've sacrificed a lot. I truly believe in finding a number, anything from at least 10% of your income, and Mm -hmm. then whatever it is past that makes you feel comfortable. You invest that monthly, you get used to it, you don't miss it. And that will get you to the point where you need to go where you can have a very comfortable retirement, depending on where you started. If you started in your 50s, it's going to be higher than that. But if you start in your 20s or early 30s, 10 to 12% or 15%, that's going to get you where you need to go. And I have not felt like I've changed my lifestyle a ton. Like I still do all the things that I like to do. And I think it's that understanding of how it works and that real understanding of compounding interest, which is the sixth wonder of the world. Mm -hmm. And I've just enjoyed it. I started to have friends and family come to me and ask me questions about their 401ks or about their pensions. And I really enjoyed that giving back because I see how it lifts so much of that anxiety from them. And they just feel such a lightness of spirit when they know that things are going to be okay and they're going to be able to take care of themselves and their family. And I've enjoyed that. And so when the pandemic started, I realized that this was going to be like a thing because I was watching a lot of the news reports from Europe. And I was like, oh, this is not going to be like just we're home for a week or two. (laughs) I started to realize I was, (laughs) it was funny. I had a friend and she had a friend that was in Europe and she was like showing me the text messages and the friend was, I just want you to know it's going to be okay, but you're going to be locked in the house for Mm -hmm. like a few months. At that time, I only thought it was going to be a few months. So I was like, okay, well, I don't have to commute anymore, which was taking like a ton of time out of my day. And I was like, I can work from home. So I'm getting hours back. I was like, you know, this might be a good time to launch this money coaching business. And this might be a good time to start working towards my certified financial planner. But I honestly, when I decided to do the CFP, Emlyn, I did not know it was going to be this hard. I thought it was going to be like, (laughs) people were like, oh, it's hard, blah, blah, blah. And then this is probably the bad side of resilience and grit is sometimes you're like, oh, I can do that. So I like jump in full force and I got in it and I'm talking about the first week. I was, oh my God, what did I sign up for? Right. But I had already put the money. (laughs) (laughs) So I just want to know a little bit more. I don't want to know this much more. Have you done the investments part where you got to do all the formulas? I don't need all those formulas. (laughs) I'm I'm like, I'm in it. I'm like in the eye of the storm now. And it was so funny because my husband actually has a background in finance. And so he's just sitting there laughing at me because he was, no, he literally was like, no one told you to do all that. He was like, Mm -hmm. I know it's hard. You know, Mm -hmm. he's like, I already know it's hard. Like, I didn't tell you to do this. But I will say this, as hard as it is, and it's hard, I'm talking about, I'm at the point now because my test is in November. So I'm at the point now where I'm studying three hours a day. Mm-hmm. And if I would have studied this hard in college, I would probably be a doctor right now. Yeah. <laughs> there is a time commitment. I was infamous for a test. I'm a pretty good test taker. You just can't be a good test taker and pass this. You have to know the subject matter very thoroughly and have to apply yourself. And yeah, shout out to all the people that are, have their CFP are in there coursework program, because I think that it really rounds out your ability to give advice. I work for a retirement plan in the company, mm-hmm. and I learned more in my CFP study about retirement plans than I did when I worked for the company. That's yeah. what we did. So there's so many little things, but I think what you get is you can pull out that. Now, this is why it's so powerful for 
you to have your CFP because you're going to pull all of that out. Now you got all the book knowledge, right? Yep. That's great. And you need that. But you got the life experience to go with the book knowledge. And now you can apply that to people in their lives. That is where you want to be. So I think that when I think about someone doing a career changer, because I can kind of think of myself as a career changer as well, because I was in banking, which still financial services, but coming from the bank into what we're doing now has been a little bit different. And I think of it as a career changer. And we've had, as a part of the BLX internship, we actually take career changers in and let them get integrated into a firm. And uh, we've had a lot of successful hires that way. So it's been pretty cool to see that. And because of the impact that the career changers can make, you're not coming from someone that didn't work. You just didn't work in this industry. And when people make the biggest impacts in an industry or the people that make the biggest impacts in an industry are typically people that come from a different industry Mm, and bring some of the things from that industry into this industry or into the industry that they're trying to serve. And you see that all the time. You see it. And I think that this is why we are having such a huge impact with people that are changing careers because they're coming in, they're bringing their life experience, they're bringing their money stories. You have a very compelling money story. You have a story that is a familiar story for many people. And when you can communicate it, oh, wait, because you went school for communication. You can communicate it very, very well. And so now you're going to have that knowledge with the ability to communicate and watch the impact. Well, I'm happy to hear that because one of the reasons that I did decide to go all in on the CFP is because I think as a career changer, there's a certain amount of you don't know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. And also a certain amount of, if you could call it intimidation, right? I haven't been doing this for 20 years like some people. And so I was trying to think, what's the fastest way that I can ramp up and really dig into this information? And so that's what I'm doing. And and because I am a career changer, I had to do a year of education before I'm able to sit for the CFP. So I did a year financial planning certificate at Pepperdine. So I did that and I completed that. And I mean, it's a big time commitment. Anybody that's tried it knows that. But I think that the thing that I go back to is that this is so important for our community. In terms of financial planners, Black financial planners, I think it's around 5%. And that's CFPs? No, this is just financial planners across the board. And CFPs, is, oh, it's like 3.5 there. 3.5, I think, is the, that's the new number. Well, that, they combine us with like, it's us and Latinos together to get to 3.5. Oh, is that for CFPs or for yeah, um, CFPs? Yeah, yeah, it's very low. And if you think about the fact of how intimate having conversations about money is, it's very difficult. I remember when I first started making money at the city of West Hollywood, people, a lot of planners know that you're making good money, you have a pension. So people would reach out to me and it was always middle-aged white men. I remember when I left the city, I had gone to a networking function and I had this middle-aged white guy. We exchanged cards and he called me and he was basically trying to get me to roll over my, my 401k to his firm. And he was very aggressive and he was very condescending, but I knew enough to know, dude, I don't need you to do what I'm doing right now. I didn't have that much money in my 401k. I knew enough to know that I could manage my index funds at that time by myself, but it was the way that they talked to me and they were so condescending. And I can only imagine how other people and what their experiences are. So it just is easier when someone looks like you, they have the same life experiences, they understand where you're coming from, some of your struggles. Maybe in our communities, oftentimes we have to help out family members. We have other obligations that some other folks that are not black and brown don't have. 
and having a planner that looks like you is just such a tremendous asset. And so that's really what where I'm at. Like I really want to help change the trajectory of people's lives. I think it's important. Black women have had more money now than we've ever had before. Mm-hmm. And it's important to have somebody that cares about you and understands your struggles that help you kind of along that journey and managing that. I think that goes back in line with what we were talking about, right? Your life experience. Yep. When you have to have compassion for the people that you work with. Absolutely. And if you lack that compassion, like someone that has not experienced some of the things that you've had to experience in life, then it's hard to give that person advice. When I'm talking to someone and they have, they've immigrated here, they have family at another country and they have to, it's just a financial, it's just what you do. You got to take care of them. There's some numbers that we have as far as savings and things that we do. Like I said, the science of financial planning in the CFP, you get the science right there. It tells you exactly what you're supposed to do in this situation. What I always question is, who's the one creating the science? Is it someone that looked like you and me that's going to be able to have some stuff there? And I think this is why it has to be a marriage between your life experience and the science of financial planning. Because I've said this before, it doesn't matter if you get the numbers right and the people wrong, because the people are the most important part. So we got to get the people right first and then worry about the numbers. Numbers are going to be what the numbers are. We can change those and do what we have to do. I mean, that's why we have the science down. Yeah, I like that. So people are important. And I think that what happens with a lot of advisors is they started, this was, I think that a lot of people have gotten to the place where we've always made it sound like an advisor is like, almost like a wizard, right? (laughs) Like, I don't know what they do. Like, no one knows what they even do. Like, they do something with my money and then it grows and sometimes they lose it. And then they talk to me about all this. We get in there, well, the standard deviation on this and the beta on this is going to mean that this is how it's relative to the market. And the client's just looking at you like, what in the world are you talking about? Right. And like, yeah. And they leave and they're like, they don't know what you said. And you're like, I'm the smartest person ever. And this is the way that advisors had been for a long time. Yeah. That is it. But here comes the modern advisor that actually cares about people. Right. Like, where does that fit at in the financial plan? There's not a place in there to talk about how much you care, but Like I said, when you have someone that looks like you and can relate to you and can see themselves in you. Yeah. One of the things that you said when you were talking earlier is that you were talking to people and they were talking about retirement and you're like, I'm going to have to do that one day. Mm -hmm. And they're talking about it. I was like, and I see myself retiring and what do I want that to look like? Mm -hmm. And then being able to say, okay, well, now if I can save this 10% of money that I'm making, it's going to actually impact the way that I can retire. And you're able to connect that because you're taking life. And you're taking science, the science of financial planning and putting it together and saying, OK, this is how I can start to plan on this. Right. We need more of you in the industry. And you're telling us why right now. You're explaining why. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. And I will say that the process of studying for the CFP has been so interesting because I think there's a lot of people out there and they're doing things on their own. And there's a certain amount that you can do on your own, right? Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. there's a lot you can do on your own. You can do Absolutely. your own emergency fund. You can invest in index funds. You can set a certain amount of your money aside for retirement. But the things that really started to resonate with me that are complicated and necessary are like estate planning. How are you going to provide for your children when you're not here anymore? Mm-hmm. Or what happens if you have young children and something happens to both of their parents, how are they provided for? Those are more complicated issues that really a lot more expertise is needed. Even education planning is more complicated now because it's not, education is crazy expensive now. I think the average is $200,000 now for a four-year college or something. It's something crazy, right? So you need to have 
a certain amount of planning that goes into that. It's not like when I graduated from college and we didn't think about it until literally my senior year. And then we we're like, oh, like, I guess mm-hmm. we have to pay for this, you know? Yeah, right. So, yeah, so there's a lot of things that are complex that advisors really are so helpful for. And they can help you dig in and run the scenarios and run the numbers. And I don't think the average person wants to spend that much time digging into the minutia of their finances. And that's what I think advisors are really important for because there's nerdy people like us, Emlyn, that think this is fun. Mm-hmm. Like it's really, it's really fun to us. Yeah, it is actually a delight to get to look at someone's finances and help them get to where they want to be. I actually like that. Like it's kind of crazy. <laughs> that's great. When you think about it, when you think about it, when you have that understanding that you can help people with yes. minor adjustments. Like I was talking to someone yesterday and they were like, yeah, I want to have an advisor. I want to drink coffee every day. I said, drink two coffees. I don't care. Buy the damn coffee. I said, we don't, yeah. I don't care if you drink coffee every day. You're not going to sit yeah. here and tell me if you stop spending that $5 a day, get out of here. Yeah. You want to have some parts of your life, things that you enjoy. Ramit said, he said that conscious spending. If you like coffee and you love that, that's what you want to do. Then make yeah. sure you get your coffee. That's fine. Like, um, I want you to. Like, I, in fact, yeah. not only can you not have it, I want you to do that. And we're going to build it into your budget. So I'm like, yeah, go buy the coffee. Don't go buy the coffee and have lunch and then go have dinner. Don't do all that, but pick what you want and consciously spend on it. I love the whole premise behind that. As I think about this, there's just so much need, room for women and people of color in financial services and people in the LGBTQ plus community. There's so much room for you. And I can't say it enough. Like we want to continue to create the space for you to come here into this industry and be seen, heard, and understood because it's critical for us to change the complexion of wealth. We need more messengers from these backgrounds to be able to tell the message to the people that will only hear it from them. And there's so many people out there that are only going to hear this message from that person. And I think you're getting excited again. I'm like, yes, you know what I mean? Some we got reinforcements coming. There's more people coming. No, I think it's important also to talk about why it's important for there to be wealth in our communities. Because I think sometimes people hear that and they're just like, oh, you just want to get rich so that you can buy a bigger house or buy more shoes or buy more cars or whatever. And it's not about that. It's about the fact that when you have wealth, you have access and you can actually influence our society. We live in a capitalistic society. And when I have more money, I actually am going to give more money. And it's actually shown that women and people of color, we give more when we actually have money. So we're going to give more to charitable organizations. We're going to give more to charitable organizations that benefit our people. I love what you're doing. You're in a position where you have your own business. You are able to make your own schedule. You sit on the planning board for the city. That's important. Like sitting on these kind of boards where we have a voice and we can help shape what our communities look like and how resources are allocated in our communities is extremely important. And I think that's really the importance of wealth building is that once all of your necessities are taken care of and you know that's taken care of, you can use your brain and your energy to do the things that are going to up-level your life and up-level the life of the people around you. Because if you're just in survival mode, you don't have to do all of that. Like you're just trying to keep the lights on you're trying to keep the food in the fridge. Like you don't have time for all these extra things like in terms of influencing the community and the people around you. What I like to call that right there is when you're on the grind. (laughs) Because grinding is like right outside of, you said like scarcity. Grinding is right outside of that. 
when you think about it, when you're in grind survival mode, and I always think about this. Every time I think of the word grind, and I always think about E40. So when I'm grinding, I don't brush my teeth or comb my hair. And I'm like, bro, yeah, I'm grinding. Like, I got to get it. Yeah. And I think when you're in that survival mode, yeah. you really can't be the blessing that you could be if you weren't there. So with this, I think this is a good place. I got to get you the changing the complexion of wealth questions because we haven't even gotten there. But yeah, so as you know, this is the Minority Money Podcast, and we are changing the complexion of wealth. And so these are the questions that I always ask the guests. And so it is your turn. What motivates or inspires you to grow, learn, and lead? Yeah, I love that question. So I started practicing Buddhism a few years ago. And one of the tenets of Buddhism that I practice is it's about polishing your life. So really, the whole thought is that challenges are what actually make our life better. And being able to overcome those challenges and meet them is what actually makes our life better. And then you don't just stop with yourself because it's about overcoming those obstacles, but then also reaching back to other people and helping them overcome those obstacles. So for me, part of the journey with the CFP is that yes, it's extremely hard. Yes, Black and Latino folks are underrepresented. But I know that if I do it, and I can pass this and I can become an advisor and make a career change, it's going to inspire other people and they're going to know that they can do it also. And I also want to say something about that is that I am not a math person. That's why I went into communications. Like the math part has been very challenging for me and I have to work really, really hard in terms of understanding all of these financial concepts. And I got the financial calculator and I'm doing all of it. But no matter how hard something is to you, it may not come to you naturally. If you stick with it and you continue to have that grit and determination, it's going to come together for you at some point. And so for me, this is really about encouraging and inspiring other people. So I think what encourages and inspires me is being able to achieve and then reach back to other people and help them. I think you're in the right career. I think this is where you belong. Do you think that education plays a big part in wealth building. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think it goes back to just from my own personal story. When I started out, I had that idea that if you work hard, that the money's going to come, which it does. But then it leaves very quickly too, if you don't have the education. So we see this with a lot of people, especially in our community. You see a lot of professional athletes. They're working really hard. They've dedicated their life to their craft. They make a lot of money. But unfortunately, a lot of folks, if you don't have the education and the knowledge, you can easily lose that, right? So the thing about money that I want everybody to know is that it's not magical. There's nothing magical about it. There's nothing mystical about it. It's numbers. It's compounding interest. And once you educate yourself and you build that skill, you have it forever. So I think that that education is really important. And for me, education is what helps move me out of the feeling of scarcity, move me Mm -hmm. out of the feeling of anxiety, of never having enough. Once I started to really get a grasp and understand what makes money work, what is money, what's the importance of it, that's where I started to feel safe and supported by the world and by the work that I'm doing. And I can do that for other people now. So absolutely 100% believe in education of all kinds. Love it. If you could offer a piece of advice or pieces to our listeners, what would that be? Just get started. I think that's the biggest thing is just getting started. A lot of times people are so scared that they're going to mess up. 
And I always say, if you're starting with something, like if you're thinking about investing, think of an amount of money that it's like, you're not going to miss it, right? It's not going to change your life. If that's $25 a month for you, for some people, it might be more, for some people, it might be less, but whatever it is, take that amount of money and dedicate yourself, say for the next year or two, I'm going to set this aside in the index fund. And okay, say like, the worst case scenario happens and you lose it. It's $25. You probably would have spent that on drinks anyway. There's something stupid, right? One drink in LA. <laughs> one drink in LA. <laughs> <laughs> or with inflation, like it wouldn't drink damn near anywhere, right? But yeah, so just get started in whatever it is, whether it's investing, you want to start a new workout program, whatever it is, you got to take the first step and you will figure it out as you go along. So it's like, get started, don't quit ask a lot of questions to people that are further along the journey than you are. And you can really change your life just by taking that first step. You said have some resilience and grit during the challenges. That's what you just said? Yeah, I mean... Because <laughs> that that you said don't give up, right? Keep going. You, yeah, you never give up. That's really what it is. It's like that never give up spirit. And especially when it gets hard, like that's the point when you really shouldn't give up. And a really big influence of mine some people love him, some people hate him. But a book that I read was by David Goggins. He was a Navy SEAL. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have anything to do with money. It just has to do with somebody that basically came from the bottom and literally worked themselves to the top. But I really love David Goggins story. I highly recommend anybody to listen to his book because everything that he preaches is basically about resilience and grit. And I think that's where self-confidence is made. Self-confidence is made from making a promise to yourself and sticking to it. Self-confidence is made in not giving up just because things get hard. Self-confidence is made in getting to your goal no matter how long it takes. Like I sit for the CFP in November and I have every confidence that I'm going to pass. But if I don't pass this time, I'm going to keep on working towards it and I'm going to keep on going until I do pass. And that's okay too. Like sometimes in the journey, you're not going to get that first win. Sometimes you're going to take L's, but that's part of it too. And you learn, you don't even think of it as taking a loss. You just think of it as like adding something more to your toolbox. L's just count as just, I look at it like this, either I win or learn, no losses are taken. Oh man, I like that, Emlyn. I like that's that. It. You got I'm all these, learn. you got the one-liners, man. You're completely <laughs> good, I like it. Win or like learn. It. It's just one of those things because I hear people taking L, but I'm taking L's, I'm taking my learning. That's what I'm doing. I'm taking all the learning I can get. That is, and a lot of times you're actually learning more. I've learned more from my losses than I have from when I just get an easy win. We're going to wrap it up here. If people want to get more of Tamara, what social medias are you active on? Where are you popping at? Where are you talking to people? Where where can they get you? Because you haven't started your podcast yet, which I highly recommend that you do. Go ahead. I've thought about it. Like I said, I got to get through November. But you can find me at The Cash Class on Twitter, on Instagram, Facebook. Also, www.thecashclass.com. I have a website. I tend to be on Twitter a lot these days, a lot more. I'm on Instagram. If you hit me there, I'll definitely check it. I love social media. I love <laughs> I love interacting with people. It's just a great place to share information. So I love it. So yeah, hit me up there. Love to hear from anyone this resonated with. Absolutely. So we'll put all those links in the show notes. So you can just click on those and get to Tamara and see what she's working on and wish her luck on her exam. Are you taking the review class? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm taking Brett Donko, who I highly recommend. I started with another company 
where I did my one year of education and it was fantastic. Mm-hmm. But Brett Donko was like the best for getting you to pass the exam. So mm-hmm. I like highly so, recommend. Nice. I know some people try to just, some people do it. They don't take review class and they just go in, but that's just not my learning. That's not recommended. I've talked to plenty of people and even myself when I was preparing for it, I did all that stuff too. So I would definitely say that. But just want to say this in closing, being able to chat with my friend here and you all got to listen to this, but chatting with my friend here, it was an honor and pleasure to have you on. Super excited about your career, about your future in financial planning and anything that we can do here to help you, please just let me know. Don't hesitate. You know, I got you. You're always like big sis to me. So anything we can do to help, we are here for you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Emlyn. It's just been such a pleasure. And I'm just, I love watching everything that you're doing. I love the show. I love the whole vibe of Minority Money. It's just such an honor to talk to you. And I'm so proud of you. So thank you for today. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And as you all know, this is the Minority Money Podcast, where we are changing the complexion of wealth. Until next time. Another great showdown, but it doesn't have to stop there. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever podcast app you're listening on now and give it a good rating, would you? If you feel really connected to the podcast, which I hope you do, find our Facebook community, Minority Money VIP, to support and be supported by others just like you. And again, we're glad to have you. While this podcast is meant to inspire and motivate you to live your best life, it can't be your complete one-stop shop. I know, I know, that really sucks. But I don't know anything about your specific situation. So please reach out to an attorney or CPA, or you can reach out to me, a financial planner, to help you with your specific situation. To get a hold of us, please reach us at fan at Minority Money Podcast. That's F-A-N at Minority Money Podcast, so we can get to know you there. Thanks for being here and until next time.